uh, four years now. Jeff was actually in my youth group, so he's kind of my, my claim to fame. I've known him since he was in ninth grade, and um, I just, I'm not a real pastor. He's the real pastor, if you knew. The rest of you all know that I'm fake. And, uh, you know, it's when I used to teach at colleges, they would call me a um, interim, no, not a, no, what is it called? Adjunct, an adjunct professor. And if you look up adjunct, it actually means not needed. So that's kind of, you know, I kind of see myself as the adjunct pastor here. And I haven't been here in a couple months, but it's great, great to be back. I see Jeff like three times a week, and uh, he brags about you all and the church. And uh, this is where Kathy and I, when we're in town, we call this home. So it is always, always fun to be back. I'm just curious, just by show of hands, how many of you can remember the very first car you ever drove? Very first car. Oh, okay, so most of us have a decent memory. Um, anybody drive a, a beater, a dog, a lemon, a just, a, just like you can't even believe you drove that? Who, has, who had one? Can you tell me what it was? Yeah. A what? A Suzuki Swift. All right. That, that is a bad car. And uh, actually, was it a motorcycle or a car? Little more than a motorcycle. All right, who 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 had something worse than the Suzuki Swift? What'd you have? <laughs> I can't even repeat that. Not that it was inappropriate, but it was a something diesel that smoked. That it was an Isuzu. That all right, but I believe you. I believe you. Anybody want to one up that? How about this side? What'd you have? A Biscayne, and it wasn't cool. I had one for breakfast this morning. But, uh, yeah, you know, okay, I had a n 1968 Volkswagen Bug automatic stick. Has anybody even heard of an automatic stick? Okay, it was a one-year wonder. They made it one year. It was kind of like the Pinto Sport. Remember, the, and the Pinto Sport just means it had, like, racing mirrors on the side. So you had to shift this, but there was no foot clutch. And it was just a, a terrible beater car. But because of that very first car, I actually learned many of my life lessons. Like, one, responsibility. Because I had to pay for all the repairs. I learned about humility. Because this car had a very rare color. It was called Chick Repellent Lime Green. It's actually, if you can imagine a Skittle on wheels, this is what it looked like, all right? That was my, my first car. And you laugh at that, but it's really where I learned to um, get a lot of quiet time in my life because nobody wanted to be with me. My buddies were like, no, Doug, we'd, we'd actually rather walk than be seen in that. Anyway, because of that traumatic experience in my life, what, um, what I thought is that when I get to be an adult, when I get to be a parent, I'm going to inflict that same humiliation on my kids. So when my kids were turning to drive, we, they didn't get the lime green Volkswagen Bug. They got great-grandma's Buick LeSabre, which was eggplant maroon. So here it is. Look at that. It's a classic, man. And that's what, that's what actually two of my three kids, my oldest two, as some people, you know, called it a form of child abuse. I called it a rite of passage. 
And uh, my youngest prayed and prayed and prayed that it would crash or do something, be stolen. She would light it on fire uh, before it got to her and her prayers were answered. But with my first, I can remember this conversation. She just started driving and she said to me, Dad, I didn't realize that I would have to fill up all the time. It seems like I'm always on empty, and I don't like the feeling of empty. Now, the preacher in me, even the adjunct preacher in me, went, oh, that's a great line. You feel like you're always on empty, and you don't like the feeling with emptiness. So, you know, I launch into fatherly sermon number 63, which I thought was excellent. Yeah, I thought it was great. And after about two minutes, she stops me. She's like, Dad, you're, that's great sermon. Great sermon, Dad. You're in, you're in rare form. Really, really captured my heart. Uh, but should I talk to Mom or do you want to give me 20 bucks for gas? <laughs> You've heard the biblical illustration, pearls before swine. That's what it was. She was not ready for the depth of that message. But I'm, I'm actually hoping you are because that's what we're talking about today. What does it look like to be spiritually full? Why is it that so many people go through life feeling empty and saying, I don't like feeling empty? And I don't know where you are spiritually. Every time I come here, I just, I'm going, okay, I know there are people over on this end that you've got it all together. You're like Jesus Jr. You don't even need another message, all right? You just, you kind of live and breathe messages. And then you've got people over here that are kind of investigating Jesus and checking him out and being forced to be here or, you know, dating someone who's coming here or whatever it is. And then you've got people in between that are struggling or stumbling or trying to be committed or disciplined. And I don't know where you are spiritually, but here's what I do know about you. If you and I were to sit knee to knee, eye to eye, and just talk about our spiritual condition or any condition, what you would say is, I don't like emptiness. I mean, nobody in here likes to be empty. Let's take spiritual off the table for a second. Let's talk about different types of emptiness. There's relational emptiness. That's called loneliness, right? There's emotional emptiness. That's called being numb. I mean, not having, not having feelings. There's uh, physical emptiness. That's fatigue, tired, parents of toddlers and newborns, you know, that type of thing. There's financial emptiness, and that's called what? Broke, absolutely. But what we're talking about is, is spiritual emptiness. Spiritual emptiness is when you know at some point you've, You've stepped across the line and put your faith in Jesus, but you just don't feel it. I mean, you know you're plugged in, but the spiritual lights don't seem to be on. And what I've learned in 35 years since I was a teenager of following Jesus, there are journeys that look like this, that are a little up and down and full and empty, And I've been wise enough along the way to identify what my life looks like when I'm spiritually empty. And I encourage you to do that if you've never done that before, just somewhere in your journal or notes on your phone or something like that. When when you hit spiritual emptiness, what's going on with you? I'm going to be a little vulnerable here and just read from you 
my journal of what I've identified as my list of spiritual emptiness. So when Doug Fields is spiritually empty, I'm shallow, confused, and anxious. I'm more selfish. Okay, I'm always selfish, but I'm, I'm more selfish. I'm impatient, frustrated, feeling fragmented. I lack compassion when I'm spiritually empty for those who are hurting. I'm more vulnerable to temptation. I'm short with people, especially short people. Okay, I feel, uh, I get worn out, cynical, feel more insecure. I find it difficult to make good decisions. I feel this strange distance from God, like, like where are you? Are you even real? That's, that's my list. And I share my list with you because I want you to make your own list. I want you to have that, that list. And because um, I talk to a lot of people, I know I'm not the only one who experiences bouts of spiritual emptiness. So let me ask you to do this. Raise your hand if you can relate to episodes of spiritual emptiness. Now keep your hand up just for a second. I want you to look around because I want you to see that you're not alone. The majority of the people in here are raising their hands, and those who aren't, they can relate to episodes of lying about it, all right? So that's okay. We'll get to that at another time. But when, when people realize that they're not alone in this journey, and what happens is they, they drop their guard, and when they drop their guard, their authenticity rises a little bit, and you hear people say things like, yeah, I'm just not... I'm just not as close to Jesus as I want to be. I don't, I don't read the Bible. Well, if I do, it's out of obligation and, and, and guilt, or it's confusing. I don't know what to read, and I'm not sure I really know how to pray. And they just make this list. And see, we want spiritual fullness, but emptiness seems to define so many of us. And the good news about today is this. That spiritual emptiness is not God's design for the people that he loves so much. And I want to take you to a text in Scripture where the Apostle Paul not only paints a picture of fullness, he actually kind of attaches a promise to it. And he describes it in a, in a loving prayer. If you have your Bibles, it's in Ephesians 3, chapter 3. If not, it's in your uh, outline or up on, up on the screen. Now, friends... Let's, let's get honest right now. I'm going to read you a lot of verses. There's 10 verses, all right? And when I'm sitting where you're sitting and it's a lot of scripture being read, it is like, do I check Instagram? Do I, you know, go to tweets? You know, do I fade? Do I, th these 10 verses, and normally I don't put a whole lot in because I know that I lose people with a lot of scripture, but I, I, want you to, I want you to have these. I'll read them kind of fast and we'll talk about it a little bit, but I also wanted you to go... I'm going to come back in two weeks. I'm going to be back in two weeks. November, it's the day after Halloween where most of you won't be here. Uh, it, it, but it's that, that Sunday. We're going to pick up on this. And in these two weeks, I'd love for you to read this scripture kind of over and over. So Ephesians 3, starting in verse 12. It says, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Man, let's just close in prayer right now with that one. That's good. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. Paul's writing from prison. I am suffering for you 
So you should feel honored. When I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and earth. Here it comes. Here's the prayer. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. In my notes, I've circled empower and inner strength. goes key connection there. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ. Great word. May you experience the love of Christ, although you're not going to understand it, (laughs) though it's too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete in all the fullness of God All the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty work at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Now that's a lot, but so let me give you the Doug Fields big picture, quick paraphrase of this. Because of Jesus, the spirit of God moves through the door into our heart, where he dwells, he takes residence, he makes himself at at home, and the door that opens up is your faith or my faith. And though we won't fully understand the depth of his love for us, we won't fully comprehend it, he he gives us a fullness of life and the unlimited power that comes from him. Because of Jesus, the Spirit of God enters the door of our life. The door is faith that opens up. The Spirit of God dwells, takes residence, makes himself at home in our life, the indwelling of the Spirit. And because of that, we're given a fullness of life, and we're given the unlimited power that comes from God. Now, for those of you that read the NIV, and I know a lot of people do because it's the one we, we hand out. Um, I read the NLT because it's written at a lower education level, so it fits for me. But in the NIV, it actually uses the word filled. And in the Greek, the word filled literally means being kept full. So imagine this idea of this fountain. You've got this fountain that is never turned off. That the Spirit of God continues to to be present there. We don't have to pray, will you be present? Will you? He's, He's there. It's being kept full. And what's amazing about this text, what's stunning to me, is that the fullness of life and power, life and power, that comes from God is available to me. Me, Douglas Montgomery Fields. Sinner me stupid me, person who fails a lot me, balding me. I mean, it's all, it's available to me. And Paul is reminding us in this text that Jesus offers a better life. Jesus offers a better life. Though you're not going to fully understand his love for us, he just offers us a better life. Now, one of the themes of Jesus In John 10, Jesus says, I came that you might have what? Life. And not just life, but life to its 
fullest, an abundant life. In John chapter 11, Jesus uh, heals Lazarus, and he says, after he heals him, he's already been wrapped up as dead, he says to the community, unwrap him and let him live. I mean, one of the themes of Jesus is not only to be physically alive, but to be spiritually alive. That there's, It's more than just a fresh start, although that's part of Jesus too. There's an abundance of living. So when we talk about spiritually full, it's being alive in Christ. It's the indwelling spirit of God within me that is, that is alive, that is moving, that is connected, that is doing things. Now, Paul's, one of Paul's major themes in the New Testament is this. You're already full, so stay full. And the way that you stay full is to be controlled by God's spirit, not by your spirit. Okay, that's kind of a Paul theme. Look, look what he says. It's not in your notes. It's up on the screen. Romans 8, 6 says, so let your sinful nature control, letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to what? Death. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. So let me give you the Doug Fields lower shelf. This is class 101 level elementary school of being spiritually full and being spiritually empty. Here's how I'd say it. When I'm spiritually empty, my sinful nature is leading the way. Leading the way in decisions, leading the way in relationships, leading the way in thought. Okay? When I'm spiritually full, the indwelling spirit of God is leading. Does this make sense? Okay. So when I'm empty, it's usually because I'm leading the way. It's, it's my sinful nature is leading the way. When I'm spiritually full, I've given over control to the guidance of God. One more verse that's not in your notes, but it's up on the screen. Still in Romans 8, verse 9. He says, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. That's great news. We, are all, we all have a sinful nature, but we're not controlled by it. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you, and Christ lives within you. Paul said that in Ephesians, right? Residents dwell, you know, he's, he's there. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you, gives you life because you've been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. See, I think most of the issues and problems and struggles that Christians have, and I'm speaking to those of you who have stepped across the line spiritually, I think one of the greatest issues that we have in living out our faith is just not having an awareness that he's here. It's not some distant deity that we need to like, fee, fi, fo, fa, you know, come God, come be here. No, he, he promises to dwell within. And if people would begin to kind of walk around through life recognizing that the Spirit of God took residency in their life, things would be so different. But as I look at my life and those that I'm close to spiritually, I go, what are some of the things that, that drain us spiritually? 
Okay? So we've, we've looked at the ideal, just stole it from the Bible. That's what Ephesians 3 says. Paul's given us the, the idea of being spiritually full. Now let's just talk about real life. 2015, South Orange County. Why is it that many of us walk around being spiritually drained? Let me give you a couple things that I think you and I need to stop doing. First is this. You can see in your notes, or it'll be up on the screen. Stop comparing to the performances of other Christians. Okay? Now, a lot of us in here, we don't want to admit this, but we're constantly comparing ourselves to other Christians, and then we feel like we're falling short. I'm, I'm curious. How many of you in here would be willing to admit that you have thought this before? You would think, most people are better Christians than me. Put your hand up if you've thought that before. Okay? A lot of us in here have. You know why? Because they are better Christians than you. No, just kidding. Just kidding. No, I, I see this comparison happening uh, a lot. You know, maybe because I've had the word minister attached to my, my life for so many years, or I went to, uh, you know, seminary and I have degrees and uh, my occupation or my degrees have brought me uh, more prestige and so when it's time to pray, let the pastor pray. You know, when somebody's in a crisis, we better call, we better call Doug because he has a degree in being a minister. And, and so, so there's this constant comparison happen. I've seen it. You know, a while back I went mountain biking with this large group of guys. I normally go with like three guys, but a bunch of guys, a bunch of these little small groups were going together, and there's like 20 of us that went mountain biking together. And we're going up this hill, and if you've never mountain biked before, let me just tell you, hills will, will be in hell, okay? They're like hills will be an activity of Satan in hell because hills are the worst if you are a mountain biker. And so we're making our way up this hill, and normally when I'm in last place with three guys, it's not that big a deal. But when I'm in last place with 20 guys, that's not as cool. Okay, and I am just like trying to make my way up this hill, and I'm sweating, and I'm tired, and I'm exhausted. I'm trying not to be painfully last. Now you could laugh at me, but you don't. I didn't tell you that I was training with Olympians. Uh, so you know, I and I we get we get to the top of this hill, and this is my posture. <laughs> I'm doing everything I can just to stay alive. But the guys have kind of all circled their bikes in a in a circle. And this one guy, an experienced rider, says, hey, guys, I just want to let you know that um, me and my buddies, when we get up here, we call this our, our prayer point. And it's about halfway in the ride, and we usually just stop and, and pray. And I like to do that now, but I feel a little weird doing that because we have a minister with us. And at that point, you can just kind of see the other guys going, oh, no. Oh no! Who is it? And what have I said? And you know, will will I you know be I will I be found out? And I'm over here going. <laughs> let's just do silent prayers. You know, let's do let's do some meditative breathing. Uh, maybe you guys could pray that my lungs would fill up with air. All right. So you know, here's this situation where, you know, I'm slamming down water like it's oxygen, and this guy is counting himself out, although he does it every time he's here. 
he brings his little group into the presence of God through prayer, but because he thinks somebody more spiritual is here, he's totally intimidated. Where is that in your world? I see it all the time. You know, some of you go, go to the marketplace, you see a guy that brings his Bible to, you know, his Bible's on his desk, and you're like, oh, gosh, he's such a better Christian than me. Maybe I should do that. Or, you know, you're out to dinner, and you see somebody praying, like, oh, if we were more spiritual, we'd, we'd probably hold hands, maybe one hand up, you know, one hand toward the food. You know, let's, let's pray for the chalupa, uh, you know. Or you go to a high school football game on Friday night, and you see, you know, a high school kid with a, a scripture verse on his letterman's jacket. And you, oh, you know, if we were better parents, you know, our kid would have had scripture on his jacket instead of a, you know, a Homer Simpson quote, you know, don't, you know, whatever. <laughs> we just do this all the time. And friends, can I just tell you this? Anytime you compare, you lose. You lose. Because what comparison does is it takes your eyes and it puts it on people. It puts it on people as opposed to focusing on the indwelling spirit of God who's taken residency in your life and is, is there to change you and to transform you, not to, not to have your time wasted with comparison. And by the way, here's, this is a little bit of an aside. When you compare, here's what comparison is. You're comparing what you know about yourself to what you don't really know about that person. You know all your sins and your weaknesses and your failures and your inadequacies, and you're comparing all that you know to what you think you know about that person, but you don't really know. You think you know, but you really don't know what's going on. And I've lived life long enough to know this. Everybody looks better from a distance. That if you actually got into some people's lives and they were able to open up their inner world and you saw their faith, it wouldn't be as deep as you think it is. It wouldn't be as rich as you think it is. You'd see some hypocrisy in, in there. You, you would just, you, you would see signs of emptiness and struggle and inconsistency. And up close, if you really got to know them, you'd see that you were in the company of a fellow struggler just like you. Comparison is a waste. Paul says in Galatians 6, verse 4, pay attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. So what I want you to hear this morning is, is this. This spiritual power, you remember what we, we read in Ephesians 3, 16? I, I don't remember it either. It's in my notes. But uh, it, 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 it's, you know, it says this, this spiritual un, unlimited power that's available to us. Please hear this. It is not reserved for a special class of Christian. That unlimited power is not reserved for the spiritually elite. Okay, It's available to all through faith. So comparison is one of the things that will quickly drain us. Another action that I want to encourage all of us to stop doing that will drain us is to stop the pressure to do more God stuff. Okay, that's the second thing I put in your notes. I think we actually have a slide for it, so we know what we're talking about. 
There it is. Stop the pressure to do more God stuff. Now, I'm well aware that the words God stuff may be too technical, deep theological for you. I understand. I went to seminary. You didn't. So, you know, I am, I am more biblically illiterate here. Uh, so what, what God stuff means is this. Any activity that you do that you think will make God happier, that's God stuff. That you, activity that you do that you think will make God happier. Did you notice the title of my message? If you look at your notes, look at the title. Being spiritually full, it's not how you think. See, I hear about people's spiritual emptiness all the time. And when they share about their current battle with spiritual emptiness, I ask the same question. I've been asking this question for many, many years. I say this. What do you think needs to happen? Okay, so you and I are sitting at Taco Bell, knee to knee, eye to eye. We're talking. You say, Doug, I'm spiritually empty. And I say, what do you think needs to happen? How would you answer that question? Because every time it's ever been answered, it is always answered, always, 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 no exceptions, is what they have to do. And that's not what I'm asking. I'm not saying, what do you think you need to do to be spiritually full? I'm just saying, what do you think needs to happen? And they answer with what they need to do. They say things like, well, you know, I, I need to... I need to read the Bible more. I should probably get up an hour earlier in order to do that. And I know I need to pray. And, and, and uh, you know, there's, um, I mean, if I memorized scripture and wrote it out, and then, you know, if I stapled it to my forehead, it would be there all day, and I could just wear it as a shield and protect, be protected with the armor of God. And, you know, and it's all about do. Then if I do all of that, I should be spiritually full. And, friends, if that would be your answer, can I tell you, that that is a recipe for failure and guilt. Because where do we get this idea that spiritual fullness, to be spiritually full, is dependent on all of these things that I have to do? Where do we get that from? Not from Jesus. It's not in the Bible, unless we've put it in there ourselves. You know where I think all the pressure to do comes from? I hate to admit this. It comes from people like me. Mostly Jeff. But, you know, people like, like, like me. Preachers, teachers, instructors. Who? What are we doing? We're just passing on what we were taught in the past. And now we're passing it on to, to others. Because when I was growing up in the church, here's what I was taught. Doug, you need to pray because Jesus prayed. And you need to read the Bible because Jesus read the Old Testament. And Jesus also memorized the Old Testament, so add that one to your list. What else did Jesus do? Well, he performed miracles. Good luck with that. He witnessed to the multitude, so you need to be witnessing. Um, he rode a donkey, so find some livestock somewhere. He cast demons, you know, into pigs, so now I've got more animals going on. And, uh, I, and, he, and he fasted, too, so throw that on your checklist. And now I'm going, oh, no, I, you know, i got to pray, i got to read, i got to memorize, i got to fast, and I have to do it, all of that in a quiet 
place. Because there's one verse in 31,000 in the Bible that says Jesus withdrew to a quiet place. And I need to do it in the morning. And I'm not even a morning person because there's one verse in the book of Mark that says Jesus got up early to pray and he went to a mountain. Now i got to find a mountain. And I'm an hour away from the closest mountain and all of a sudden, boom! Checklists are created. Rituals are developed. And guilt comes in. And you feel like you have to perform for God's love. And it drains you spiritually. Now, please, please, please do not misunderstand me. And I'm being recorded because some of you are going to quote me wrong. I am not suggesting that you should not read your Bible. I am not suggesting that you shouldn't pray. Of course not. Spiritual disciplines are the foundation of our spiritual health. And if you have a daily routine that is not motivated out of guilt or performance, and it leads to an intimacy with Jesus, then by all means, continue to do what you're doing. But you would be in the minority. What I'm referring to is what I call passionless rituals. Passionless rituals that lead to emptiness. You see, Jesus doesn't want us coming to him in robotic, manipulated, guilt fashion. Because that's not, I mean, that, when, when Jesus was angry, he was angry with the religious leaders who were telling people to do that. Jesus' anger was not, was not reserved for those of us who are struggling, trying to figure out what does it look like to be full and to walk with him. Jesus was angered at those leaders who gave no hope. Look what it says in Matthew 23. They, meaning the Pharisees, these were the religious leaders, they crushed people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Now, here's why I want you to get this. Because when Jesus was calling people to follow him, when Jesus was calling a person to align his or her life with his, Jesus used very invitational words. Come with me. Be with me. Follow me. Those are invitational words. And in a gracious, invitational tone, it allows us to approach Jesus confidently. That's the very first verse we read in Ephesians 3, right? It says we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. We can go boldly and confidently. Why? Because Jesus is crazy in love with us. And when you understand that love, you don't have to fake it. You don't have to perform you don't have to be a part of a ritual that I can go to Jesus. You can go to Jesus with our broken, goofy, tired, empty, worn out self. Because it's not a performance. It's relationship. Okay? Now, I've given you two things to stop that I need to work on stopping. Comparison and performing. 
And let me just give you one to start, to start thinking about. And I'm going to pick up in two weeks kind of where we, we've left off. And it's this. It's, it's start thinking of Jesus inviting you to a friendship, a connection, and a fullness. Start thinking of Jesus as someone who's inviting you to connect, that he's dwelling within. He's here now. Think about him being invited over to a best friend's house. When you are invited to a best friend's house, are you, um, are you guilty? Are you scared? When you're invited to a best friend's house, do you think, oh, what will we talk about? And I wonder if he'll accept me. And will I have to listen to his nine-year-old play the accordion again? And what if I have to use the bathroom? And, you know, no, you don't, you don't stress out when you're invited to a good friend's house. You, you go to their house, you, you, feel, you, you, feel the, you don't feel the pressure to perform. You're just yourself. And the Jesus that many of us in here came to celebrate today is the Jesus who can part the Red Sea and raise the dead to life, but is also the same Jesus that wants to occupy a personal presence in my life. The same Jesus that has the power to do everything has a position in my life where I'm offered that power. See, Jesus not only said, come to me, be with me, follow me. He also said this in John 15. Look, I no longer call you slaves. You are now my friends. Since I've told you everything the Father told me, you're now my friends. See, I don't, I don't know. When I, when I take my last breath, whenever that will be, when I take my last breath and I'm in the presence of Jesus, somehow I doubt that before I embrace my friend and my Savior, that he's going to stop me. Whoa, Doug, don't get too close. Pull out your journal and tell me all the books you've read about me. I'd like a litany of all the Bible studies that you attended and all the scriptures that you memorized. No, I'm going to be in the presence of a friend and Savior. See, connecting with Jesus, it's not about a ritual. It's about a relationship. It's, it's not about a performance. It's about being in his presence. It's not about have to. It's about want to. You're drawn to. It's not about guilt. It's about grace. And it's not about you mastering some form or technique. It's about friendship. And so for the next couple weeks, I'd just love for you to think about what, is it, what would it look like to have a friendship with Jesus? And reread this Ephesians passage. And in two weeks, I want to just build on this idea of friendship. Because I kind of dream, like, what would it look like in my life and my family's life and my, my circle of friends that I hang out with in our church? What would, our, what, would, what would life look like if you and I walked around knowing that we can be spiritually full because the presence of God dwells within? I think life would be different. I think friendships would be deeper. I think you would be happier. I think guilt and failure would fade away. Joy would be evident. Life groups would be deeper. Your cholesterol would probably go down. Peace would descend upon you. The Spirit of God would be so evident in your life that you'd be filled, and emptiness would become a thing 
of the past. Today, I think, you know, my prayer this morning is today could change everything for all of us. There's something about a spirit-filled person who isn't controlled by their own sinful nature but surrenders to the control of the indwelling God that is so attractive. That's what I want. I want it for me, and I want it for you, and I, I can see it. The last thing in your notes and is this. Spiritual fullness is not an invitation to do more. It's an invitation to be intimately connected with Jesus, your friend, to walk through life with an awareness of his presence and his power and his ongoing love for you. Does this make sense? All right. Because if it doesn't make sense now, I'm going to change it before the next service. But it makes sense to me, and I want it, and I know some of you are leaning in that you want it too. Let's pray together. Jesus, may we be different because we were here today. I pray for those in here who walked in with a real sense of emptiness. I pray that through the power of your spirit, you would bring conviction to them being maybe led by their sinful nature. I pray for those in here who have made their faith about performance and doing and that they might experience your love for them in a new and fresh way. And as now we respond, for some of you, how are you going to respond to this message? Some of you need to come up during the singing and you need to be prayed for. And that's a great way to be to respond. Some of you maybe need to sit quietly in your chair and reread the, the Ephesians scripture just over and over and over. Some of you, you may need to fall to your knees and confess that you've been living a life of comparison and performance. And some, you, you need to sing. You need to sing with joy in the knowledge that you are loved. God, thanks for hearing our prayers. Pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. As Doug said, if you need prayer, there are people in the front that are more than happy to pray for you. And as we respond, let's lay down our performances and lean into the